0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today uh warm welcome to scorebox these are your headlines more talks little progress another round of us aid negotiations fail to reach a deal cnbc speaks to the treasury secretary steven after he warns an agreement is unlikely before the election.
1: Getting something done before the election and executing on that uh, would be difficult, just given where we are in the level of details, but we're going to try to continue to work through these issues.
0: U.S. futures trade lower after blowout earnings from Goldman Sachs fail to cheer Wall Street as Standard Chartered CEO Bill Winters tells CNBC banks are not
1: on the front line of this crisis. Banks uh, have come into this crisis with very strong capital positions and and liquidity certainly is not a problem uh, given the central bank action, but also the the, the actions that all of us have taken to to shore up our liquidity for just an event like this.
0: French President Emmanuel Macron imposes a curfew on nine of the country's biggest cities, saying stricter measures are needed to restore control of the pandemic. If we need to act, it's in order to halt the spreading of the virus. Firstly, to protect others, sometimes ourselves, and to protect the elderly, the most vulnerable, those in the most precarious situations. That's the first objective. Secondly, we need to protect our healthcare systems, our caregivers. A big hit with investors. Shares in the Korean Entertainment Group double in their market debut, making millions for headline act and global boy band sensation BTS. So we've got numbers coming out from the global pharmaceutical group Roche. Um, Various flashes, including in the US overall sales decreasing 4%, but they are saying uh, strong growth of 35% in new medicines generating sales of uh, 13.7 billion Swiss francs. Although sales in their pharmaceutical division decreased 1% to 34.3%. Billion Swissy as well. Core earnings per share are targeted to grow broadly in line with sales at constant exchange rates. Uh, Roche expects to grow its dividend uh, further in Swiss francs. Uh, Based on the current assessment of COVID-19 impact, sales are expected to grow in low to mid-single-digit range range at constant exchange rates as well. Uh, Their diagnostics division grew 9% with COVID testing acting as the main contributor. Well, those are some of the headline flashes. Let's get some more detail now with Juliana. Juliana.
2: Good morning, Steve. Well, looking at these Roche numbers, there's really two different big themes to uh, pay attention to here. One is in the pharmaceutical division. You mentioned, Steve, that the pharma division saw sales decline 1%. The pharma division, like other pharmaceutical companies, has been hit by the COVID-19 crisis with a lot of hospital-facing patients affected. So that business coming under a little bit of further pressure. Their diagnostics division, though, growing 9%. So sales in that division have been accelerating. And Roche has been right at the forefront of testing when it comes to COVID-19 with 10 different diagnostics available. So that division growing quite strongly, the main contributor was COVID-19 testing. So Two very different impacts being seen here in Roche results. Putting it all together, Roche has confirmed its guidance for the year. That was in line with analyst expectations. Uh, Looking through the various analyst notes heading into today's results, the expectation was for that previous guidance of low to mid single digit revenue growth to be reiterated today. Stable operating margins expected. Now moving forward for Roche, one of the questions of course, how much can this diagnostics division continue to grow? And then the pharmaceutical division, how much can new product growth offset the impact of biosimilar erosion? So that's one of the big themes for this stock outside of the COVID-19 crisis. And then one other thing to throw into the mix for the months ahead for Roche, uh, the impact of the U.S. elections. Roche has a substantial U.S. division, so we will be uh, certainly exposed to any drug pricing reform that comes through on the back of this election. So that's something that Roche investors are gonna be paying attention to here. But in terms of the numbers today, no surprise, here that the outlook has been reiterated the pharmaceutical division has been hit but diagnostics has been growing and has been offsetting that impact in the pharma division
0: A question for you, going backwards and looking forwards, Juliana, because we were all very excited when we thought that there was some form of game changer, as the UK Prime Minister once put it, in antibody testing. And Severin Schwan came on our channel several times to talk about his excitement about the products that were being offered by the company and indeed others in the industry then as well. It proved to be a false dawn and a false hope, and actually has been a bit of a damp squib for our progress in uh, tackling COVID nineteen as well. What are the hopes that the product offering from the likes of Roche going forward are going to be any better at proving to be game changers than false hopes were for antibody tests?
2: Well, Steve, I definitely agree that the antibody tests have been a bit of a damp squib here, given that we still don't have enough information about how antibodies work with this virus, how much immunity they provided, how long that immunity lasts. But Roche has a very broad suite of testing uh, available for COVID-19. They've got a PCR test available, which is the most definitive type of test that detects the virus. They've also now got this rapid antigen test, which detects the virus very, very quickly. Not quite as sensitive as the PCR test, but still a really helpful tool. So Putting all of these tools together, these are all aids to helping control the outbreak. And as you hear from medical experts across the world, testing is the key. So Roche is sort of, they are involved in every step of the testing process from the most definitive PCR test to the rapid antigen test, both which detect the virus. And then they do have the serological antibody tests which do detect immunity. But the bottom line with all of this testing, these are tools and ultimately we do need a vaccine to have any broad, broad um, solution to the crisis. But testing, all these testing tools that Roche has been providing are key to helping control the outbreak.
0: Just a quick one. How concerned should our viewers be that from AstraZeneca to Eli Lilly to Johnson & Johnson, there seems to be stuttering progress in phase three trials? This is to be expected. We hear from the pharmaceutical industry. But is there any cause for concern over the longer term hopes for a product?
2: It's too soon to say, I think, Steve, whether these pauses that we've seen now come in through Johnson & Johnson and Eli Lilly uh, and, of course, AstraZeneca previously will be uh, very substantial roadblocks to getting these various drugs and vaccines through. The message certainly is from the medical community that these types of pauses are extremely normal. The difference here is that the world is watching. But each of these events needs to be treated differently. And we're still waiting for more information when it comes to Eli Lilly and and Johnson & Johnson. Johnson, as well as AstraZeneca in the U.S.
0: Absolutely, Juliana. We appreciate your expertise. We're we're very lucky to have you as a a former, what do you call yourself, chemicals rather than pharmaceuticals (laughs) analyst?
2: Chemicals, so a, a neighbouring industry. Yeah,
0: we're just very glad you didn't get big tech when you were an analyst. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things.
2: Talk to people and put your ambition out there.
0: I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Here are from our cnbc anchors reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com u.s treasury secretary steve mnuchin has dampened the hopes for a speedy stimulus package saying an agreement before the november election will be difficult mnuchin and the house speaker nancy pelosi spoke once again but failed to strike a deal the treasury secretary said they are quote far apart on some of the key issues
1: there are money issues there's also policy issues uh, the 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 bill that the house passed is close to 1600 pages the the importance is in the details we're going through language one of the things that's very important to us is making sure that we have liability protection for small businesses and for schools as they reopen there's lots of significant issues here uh, and
0: if you can't get enough of Stephen Mnuchin, uh, we're going to speak to him again today. There you go. Uh, 1430 CET. CNBC will speak to Stephen Mnuchin, the U.S. Treasury Secretary. Uh, elsewhere in administration, the economic advisor Larry Kudlow, advocated for the administration's piecemeal approach to reaching a fresh stimulus deal, arguing there is more time to negotiate a comprehensive package.
1: Why go all or nothing? Why not just agree? to a few simple principles and litigate the rest of it
0: later on. You've got plenty of time. I'm just saying that right now,
1: right in here, you have a moment where I think you could come together in a sensible, targeted, efficient, smart package. And that's
0: what um, Secretary Mnuchin is trying to do. I-, I bow to the knowledge of all my friends and investors and viewers stateside, but have you ever had a more packed political agenda with the the hearing for Amy Coney Barrett as well and the the 11 hours of gruelling context there, the build up to what is one of the most hotly contested elections uh, for decades. Uh, Plus, you've got stimulus package talks ongoing as well. Capitol Hill is a busy, busy place. Right. In the meantime, though, the market's just taking a little bit of a pause for breath. Actually, we had a four-day rally. Now we've had a two-day downtick on some of these indices as well. Uh, It was across the board, really. For instance, in the Dow, United Healthcare was one of the biggest decliners there. Uh, But more broadly on U.S. indices, consumer discretionaries uh, were falling as well. Plus, the news out of the banking sector, we'll come to that in a few moments' time, really extraordinary numbers out of some of these banks. And by and large, the, the, the likes of JP Morgan, City, and Goldman's doing incredibly well. More concerns elsewhere, perhaps, are the likes of Wells Fargo. Again, we'll come to that in a few moments' time. Let's have a look at the transports as well. Uh, my producer, Anna, was particularly excited about this one today. Uh, 9% up year-to-date, the Dell transports. Well, what she was particularly excited about is we've got a record high on the Dow transports again, which I think is actually very interesting. And I'm glad she drew my attention to it as well, because the transports very often seen as a metaphor for broader America as well. And if we are seeing some form of recovery that does have legs, and there are big questions about whether recovery does have legs or not, uh, Dow transports will undoubtedly be there if there is a broader recovery as well. Uh, Interesting to note from yesterday as well, the producer prices. Just a hint, and I'm not the first one to augur inflation returning in any meaningful way in the States, but just a hint of inflation coming through in the September figures for producer prices uh, compared with the August numbers, actually a big increase there. Uh, What have I got for you? Year-on-year core PPI going up by 1.2%, up only 0.6% in August. So, you know, maybe the first flashes of interest there. Anyway, other indices that will uh, need to rally if we are going to see a broader US market, and that's include the Russell 2K, which you can see on your screen there which was down 0.9 of 1%. Bank of America missed third quarter revenue forecast. Low interest rates uh, weighing on lenders' margin. If any of you were in any doubt about the slavish relationship between the two, the five and the 10-year paper compared with the profitability of banks, well, you should dispel that rumor now, throw it away, put it in the trash can as well, because it is seriously affecting margins for these banks. The bank uh, set aside, though, $1.4 billion in loan provisions down from... 5.1 billion dollars in the previous period. Meanwhile, Goldman Sachs comfortably beat on the top and bottom line after the bank reported a strong performance at its bond trading and asset management units in the third quarter. Let's take a look at what the US bank stocks did yesterday. Goldman's barely moved, but I have to say the return on equity was quite extraordinary there. JP Morgan giving it back a little bit of ground. Citi also down 1.5%. Bank of America is where we saw the real pain down 5.3%. Cole Smead is president of Smead Capital Management as well. Cole, um, we we're learning a lot about the bank's sustainability and indeed where they stand amid this crisis. What's your broad brush take so far from the four or five big banks we've seen?
3: Yeah, the banks that have the biggest capital markets activities are the ones that look to, to most investors to have the most diversification. Um, I think the only catch with that, Steve, is if you went out to the likes of a Goldman or a Morgan Stanley and asked them how their pipeline looks, they would tell you it looks wonderful between the SPACs that are going on and their ability to raise capital. Um, The only problem is when those pipelines look as good as they do, uh, what's gonna come next? In other words, what's gonna be their encore? So I say that because if you look at the commercial and consumer banking end of the arena, um, you know, the likes of Wells Fargo or more more so Bank of America compared to JP Morgan and and the big investment banks, um, those are kind of the the poor stepchildren uh, in the mix right now. And I highlight that because you were mentioned on the, the PPI numbers, I think the most interesting number the last two days was the CPI numbers that your colleague Phil LeBeau reported on. Uh, if You look at the new car sales here in the United States, they were up 1% month to month, but used car sale prices were up 6.7% month to month. Okay, We're having a classical economic recovery in the United States led by autos and housing, and that bodes incredibly well for the economy And I think people are underwhelming how important that is to the recovery that is incredibly strong, despite the fact, as Mnuchin and Pelosi would tell you, we're nowhere near getting meal steel.
0: Carl, you and I have had a great debate. In fact, this very same debate well yeah. pre-COVID as well, COVID. So let's renew this yeah. for our viewers as well. Let's give them something to talk about as well. Yeah. This is not a classical economic recovery in the 90s. And I take your point about the auto sales. And I'm glad they've managed to put their price up and improve their margins. Because quite frankly, OEMs have had zilch margins, as you and I both know, on auto sales. Yeah. They get their money from all the additional services as well. But this is not a classical economic recovery. If it was a classical economic recovery and going great guns, we wouldn't be crying out for one point five to two point five trillion dollars coming out of stimulus from Capitol Hill.
3: Well, I, see, Steve, your point is right in that we're crying out for stimulus. But if you compare this to 9 this is a pittance relative to O-9. The households of America were in the worst position in the history of the United States of America. And in that case, they had the highest debt service ratios in the history of the data. If you look at that same data point right now, we are at the lowest debt service ratios among households in the 40 years the Fed's tracked the data. Okay, so to your point, who got caught in this pinch was businesses, no question about it. But if you look back to the 09 recovery, autos and homes never recovered. Okay, so I say it's classical because if you look at like the 80, 81, uh, you look at the, the early recession uh, in, in the 1980s, um, you had autos and homes move in the 1980s coming out of that. We never saw that in 09, okay? We never threw money at this problem like we are now in 09. We never did it. We're going to do more stimulus post-World War II than anything we've ever seen, and yet we had a deeper recession in 09, okay? So I'm very interested in the fact that the the economy is rebounding in highly cyclical areas, and we want to throw even more money at the problem, okay? So why are people... Why, why are used cars going up in value? Because nobody wants to take transport. Well, that means consumer preferences are changing quicker than the government numbers are showing. Cole,
0: and and after the last time we had this debate, I looked at those household numbers and that, and I, I bow to your your knowledge on that, and you were spot on. So I'll, I'll give you that one, hands down, as well. My second piece of evidence, though, if this was a classical economic recovery with a big increasing cyclicals, why has the most powerful central bank in the world said, you know what? I'm not even going to touch interest rates for the next three and a half years. You can run inflation hot because that's how worried I am until the end of 2023. If this was classical, you wouldn't be having trillions of dollars of stimulus and you wouldn't have a central bank which is terrified of raising rates even a quarter of a percent.
3: Yeah, no, Steve, that is the most common uh, question Point someone points out to me. They'll say, but Cole, if trouble arises for markets, let's just say, well, you know, won't the Fed be there to bail us out no matter what? Because, you know, that's what they've done so far. The, a couple of days ago, one of the Fed governors mentioned that there there is no forward commitment. In other words, they're providing a lot of liquidity now, but they guarantee nothing in the future. And I thought that was interesting because that didn't get much play or press for that matter. Okay. So, you know, Greenspan was known for putting, you know, for you know, being the put to markets, okay? But do not kid yourself, uh, when 99 broke, Greenspan didn't matter. Markets cleared on their own. And I think that's the real thing that people are missing. It, my gut feeling, Steve, is that we peaked this thing in September. We ain't gonna go back to that number. We got about 150 basis points away from it earlier this week. And what have we started doing? Markets started looking sloppy the last couple days, okay? The buying that went on, in August and September is a 10 year phenomenon. The likes which we've never seen among millennials. And then the risk taking among people that don't wanna own bonds and wanna own over, over overpriced US quality businesses is of record proportions. And the question is, are markets gonna get rectified regardless of the Fed? And I would argue markets are gonna clear because the Fed has really helped credit markets, but they can't save a stock market. And so- I think that's- the that's the biggest
0: problem. I, I love this debate, and I love you challenging me, and I love me challenging you. So just to, to take this in the, in the spirit it's meant as well, because I do enjoy this yeah. debate. Those people who are buying stocks in August and September, are you happy that they are buying these stocks on 22 times forward S&P compared with a 10-year yeah. average of 15%? They are paying up to 50% higher for the value of those same stocks. And don't get me wrong, I appreciate some cracking good companies out there, but I'm being asked as a US investor to pay 50% higher than the 10-year average. Is that good?
3: It's a nightmare. It's a total nightmare. I'll give you a term, Steve, that we're talking a lot about with with clients and investors. Stock market failure. It never gets higher, okay? So to your point, the two forms that failure are millennials. And I, I'm, it's people my age, you know, in their 30s and early 40s that have, are speculating in the stock market for the first time in their lives. What are they doing? They're buying bullish call options that expire inside of two weeks. Uh, the, the number on it was there was a half a trillion dollars of bullish call options bought in a four-week stretch by small retail traders. In 99, it was only $100 billion, In 07, it was $100 billion. So that's what young, dumb investors are doing. And when the market makers get those, see those out there, those, those call buying, they sell that call to that person and they buy the stock. Much of the stock buying in August was nothing more than market makers hedging their, their, you know, the call rights they were doing. But in boomers out there, baby boomers are people of wealth, the, the willingness to ride the index to a fault and overpay for great American businesses like a Costco or like a Microsoft, the only problem to your point, Microsoft is a wonderful company. But at 40 times earnings, there is a 0% chance of that producing wealth for someone over the next 10 years that will meet their cool. needs.
0: We've got to leave it there. I, I, I hear you, my friend. And actually, we've, we found somewhere we completely agree on as well. I was an option market maker for 11 years and watching people buy these calls, expecting them to make money, even on modest inclines. As you say, young and dumb, there's no other way for Incredible. it. Incredible.
3: It'll be fun, Steve. Thank you. Cole,
0: always a good uh, chat, my friend. Thank you very much indeed. Sir. You stay well. Cole Smead, president of Smead Capital Management as well. Standard Chartered CEO Bill Winters has told CNBC exclusively that the global banking system was in good shape ahead of the coronavirus outbreak and that central bank support means many lenders have already absorbed their losses. Uh, Mr. Cutmore's not here because yesterday he was working very hard. He's working very hard this afternoon as well, talking to the Standard Chartered boss in the afternoon and asked him if he still saw any risks to the recovery from the financial sector
1: there's extraordinary central bank support for the financial system broadly. And I think that applies to uh, to the, the large banks in, in each market as well. Uh, banks uh, have come into this crisis with very strong capital positions and, and liquidity certainly is not a problem uh, given the central bank actions, but also the, the, the actions that all of us have taken to, to shore up our liquidity for just an event like this. Uh, so I think that the financial system is really in, in very good shape. Uh, and as we've seen at least so far, and you, you've seen a number of US banks report in the last couple of days, uh, there's been a material taping, tapering off in the in the credit impairments, uh, which of course this is following a, a period of a, a real spike uh, in, in impairments but it, it says to me that at least for those banks that have reported they they, uh, they were in front of the uh, of the loan losses that are likely to come material though they are uh, they're manageable they've been absorbed and, and now it's time to move on. Uh, so uh, I, I don't think that the banking system itself is, is poses much of a risk to the recovery. There is a a fear among some that even
0: as we looked at uh, some of those earnings, Bill, and we saw that even in the consumer banking area, they weren't terrible numbers. There is a, a concern among some, though, that we are waiting for another shoe to drop in terms of the full impact of uh, continued loss of jobs and concerns about ability uh, to meet debt obligations, whether that be credit card debt or mortgage debt. Um, are you in that
1: camp or do you take a more positive view? Well, we, we, we heard the comments from uh, from Fed Chairman Powell about the the need for stimulus to sustain the recovery in the U.S. And I'm, I'm sure that that was a it was a very clear statement, and very deliberate and, and obviously targeted at a at a, at a deadlocked uh, Congress in the U.S., but I think that's the case uh, across the board. I mean, we're, we're clearly getting into a phase of we could call it a second wave or an extension of the first wave or, or whatever you want to call it. I'm sure we'd rather not call it anything uh, that uh, that will require uh, some element of, of ongoing fiscal support if we're going to avoid uh, something of a cliff effect uh, in terms of job losses and, and the, the consequent impact on uh, on consumption. Uh, so I think governments do have an opportunity or an obligation or, or a, a helpful. I mean, you can characterize it how you'd like to, uh, to, to carry on through this next phase of this pandemic. But it may not happen. And it may not happen for some understandable reasons. I mean, some, some countries feel fiscally very stretched, uh, even despite the fact that we've got very, very low interest rates. That doesn't seem to be the uh, the, the, the conventional wisdom or the wisdom in any of the major economies, though, uh, where I think we can expect some government support to persist. And, and against that backdrop, uh, I think the, the, the underlying momentum for a recovery can continue to grow.